Welcome to the All Things Protest podcast. I'm your host, Rob Sneckenberg, and with me today is my co-host, Christian Curran, as well as special guest, partner Anuj Vora. Anuj is joining us today to talk about a recent decision from GAO in Teledyne Brown Engineering. In that case, GAO sustained a protest alleging that an agency official who had extensive involvement in essentially every aspect of the acquisition had an apparent conflict of interest. GAO held that the agency recognized the conflict, but failed to adequately address it. And there are some interesting aspects we want to dive into a bit deeper today. Anish, can you give us the background and overview of the case? Yeah, Rob, happy to. Teledyne was a protest of a NASA award to a company called SGT. And GAO, as you noted, sustained the protest based upon an apparent conflict of interest. And interestingly here, we can talk about this a little later, what they recommended was that the procurement basically be thrown out and started over based upon NASA's failure to adequately investigate and mitigate an apparent conflict of interest resulting from a NASA employee who, as you noted, was involved in various aspects of the procurement itself while also maintaining a social friendly relationship with employees of multiple bidders in the procurement. There's a lot of relevant facts here, so I'll just try and walk through them quickly and at a high level. The procurement was for ground and systems operation services at the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Let's call the contract MOSI because just to keep track of everything, the MOSI contract was to be a consolidation of two other contracts. One was called the Huntsville contract and the other was called the missions operations contract. And that consolidation effort was pretty complicated, and so NASA formed a procurement development team to consider a variety of aspects of the consolidation, including market research, the development of an acquisition plan, the issuance of requests for information to industry to determine whether the procurement could be set aside for small businesses, and ultimately the PDT was involved in drafting the Massey Performance Work Statement. And at the center of all of this was the NASA employee in question who is referred to throughout the GAO opinion as Mr. X. As is relevant here, Mr. X was assigned to lead the procurement development team two weeks before the draft RFP was issued, and he was on it, leading it up and through the issuance of the final RFP four months later. So the draft RFP was issued in January of 2018. The final came out in May of 2018. And in that time, again, he led the preparation of performance work statements, cost estimates, agency risk assessments, the agency's evaluation approach, and the acquisition schedule. And as you noted, Rob, GAO, in evaluating Mr. X's role, noted that he was involved in ongoing continuous leadership in nearly every aspect of the agency's acquisition. When he was done with his time on the PDT, he was supposed to be assigned to the source evaluation board, at which point he would be self-evidently evaluating proposals. The problem here resulted from the fact that while Mr. X was doing all this, he was also attending a weekly social gathering with a group of friends. And some of those friends included two people of particular interest. One was a high-ranking employee of a company called Colsa. Colsa was the prime contractor on that Huntsville contract that I mentioned. That was one of the two contracts being consolidated. Another member at these weekly gatherings was an employee of KBR Weil, which during the pendency of this procurement 
merged with SGT, the ultimate awardee of the Mossy contract. And the funny line that's gotten a lot of attention from GAO is that Mr. X described the purpose of those weekly gatherings as, quote, for camaraderie, friendship, dinner, and to engage in competitive foosball. So that's his role. That's the relationship. He did flag this relationship for NASA on multiple occasions, first to the attorney who was supervising the procurement, and the attorney at that time basically told him to avoid the appearance of a conflict, but without giving him any further guidance on that or the agency taking any further steps with regards to that apparent conflict. And then separately, when he was to be appointed to the source evaluation board, he actually reached out to NASA's ethics official to get a firm determination that it was okay for him to participate in the evaluation process given his participation in the weekly meeting. So that was in September of 2018. They never actually got at that time an ethics opinion, but NASA went ahead and put him on the source evaluation board. Then in November 2018, the ethics office issued its opinion and acknowledged while there was no statute or regulation that required him to be taken off the evaluation board, and the FAR generally counsels against avoiding even the appearance of an impropriety or the appearance of a conflict, and his involvement in these weekly competitive foosball gatherings raised such an appearance such that NASA needed to consider doing at least one of two things, either taking him off the source evaluation board or having him not participate in these weekly meetings, at least through the pendency of the procurement. NASA didn't do either of those things. They declared that he was too important to the procurement to take him off the source evaluation board. And Mr. X decided that because, you know, these were his longtime friends, he didn't want to stop hanging out with them. And so he didn't stop attending those weekly meetings or playing competitive foosball. What NASA did do was remind Mr. X to adhere to procurement integrity regulations, to keep any activities he was participating in, in his role as an SEB member, confidential, and NASA declared he could not be involved in the evaluation of COLSA, although he could be involved in the scoring of such proposals, so query whether that kind of limitation had any practical impact. And that query is sort of part of what led GAO to sustain the protest. It concluded that despite the fact that he was really touching on every aspect of the procurement, the agency did very little in terms of mitigating that appearance of a conflict beyond what I said. And, and even the, the mitigation they did undertake, they failed to really consider his role on the PDT. They focused entirely on the SEB. And they only really focused on his relationship with the COLSA employee at those meetings, but not the KBR employee. And so all of that, and there's a lot more detail in the decision, but that kind of really served as the basis for GAO's determination that there was a conflict here that the agency had recognized but had not taken sufficient steps to mitigate or even really address, and for that reason, it sustained the protest. Normally in these cases, there is the presumption that government officials act in good faith. Was there any actual evidence of bad faith here? No. And in fact, to the contrary, GAO expressly stated that in light of the clear appearance of an impropriety, 
it did not need to determine whether Mr. X's involvement either resulted in actual prejudice to any of the other offerors or even a benefit to the awardee, SGT. It was enough that just this appearance of an issue tainted the procurement to the extent that ultimately GAO believed it needed to be thrown out entirely. So, Anish, is this kind of a layup for GAO here, given the ethics opinion? The portions that are quoted in the public decision here are not particularly damning, but nevertheless, I mean, the the ethics official found that there was a clear appearance of impropriety here, and it seems like had something been done in response to that, maybe the agency could have avoided this. Yeah, I think that's right. And if the initial takeaway is going to be, wow, and GAO issued this sort of draconian decision that threw this whole procurement out based upon just an appearance, and it was sort of a relationship we don't really see. But I think the ultimate takeaway here and what animated GAO's decision was the fact that NASA did identify an issue. The ethics official identified it as a real problem and proposed steps to mitigate it. And notwithstanding that recommendation, NASA did very little in terms of implementing those steps. So, so yeah, I mean, I think by the time it got to GAO on those particular facts, it was easy for GAO to say, we don't really independently need to find a whole lot. The problem here was the agency believed that there was an issue and didn't do a whole lot about it. So had the agency, one, either investigated it and the ethics official said, I don't believe this is a problem for reasons X, Y, and Z, or alternatively, if NASA had taken what I imagine would not have been that difficult a step of just removing Mr. X from the source evaluation board, but otherwise proceeding with the procurement as planned, I think GAO likely would have blessed the agency's action under either of those scenarios. So how much of an influence is this case really going to have on future cases? I mean, I don't anticipate seeing competitive foosball come up in too many upcoming decisions, but Is this something we're going to be seeing cited in every bias or conflict case or that we're going to be seeing in reported decisions? Or do you think this is going to be narrowly confined to the facts here? Can I answer both? I think we're going to see a lot of bias and conflict allegations that are based on the Teledyne decision and the fact that the protester was able to point to sort of an unusual relationship, competitive foosball We might see participation in poker games or attendance at backyard barbecues, all sorts of stuff as driving bias allegations. But like I said, I think this case can pretty easily be cabined to its facts. So I do think in the next couple years, we are likely to see a bunch of GAO decisions that are distinguishing Teledyne on its facts and explaining why notwithstanding to sustain in this case, it does not warrant a finding of an appearance of an impropriety or an issue requiring throwing out all sorts of other procurements in the absence of very comparable facts in the form of an agency recognition of a problem and nonetheless taking very limited steps to address it. I just have one last question, probably the most important question of the podcast, but Is there a distinction between competitive foosball and just foosball? Yes, of course there is, Christian, and I'm almost offended you had to ask that question, but I will answer it nonetheless. Foosball is just playing foosball like you and I might do. Competitive foosball, 
as I understand it, and I have vetted this with no one with any real expertise in foosball, but someone told it to me, so I'm going to assume it's true, means you can't spin the handles when you're playing. So it's a more refined game of foosball. But in all seriousness, I think there is something interesting in the decision, in the reference to competitive foosball. That reference in Mr. X's declaration or whatever the agency submitted almost seemed to be kind of winking and and a suggestion that the agency didn't think that these weekly gatherings were going to be a real issue in terms of the protest without recognizing that having already identified an issue with that relationship, it couldn't subsequently say that it wasn't that big of a deal. It had to take further steps. And so to the extent there is a takeaway from this decision in terms of how an agency should treat these things, I think it is once you've identified a problem, you have to take steps to sufficiently address that problem. Well said, Anish. And whether winking or not, we appreciate that this case has given us an interesting fact pattern to address, and we hope that this was helpful for our listeners. We'll keep you posted as and if we see additional decisions on these conflict of interest topics or perchance on competitive or non-competitive foosball. But until next time, thank you, Anish. And as always, thanks for listening. You bet. Thanks. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.